Welcome to Volume 2, Episode 4 of Weekend at Crombie's. Tonight, we will be reviewing The Heartbreak Kid. Welcome, dear listener, to Volume 2, Episode 4 of Weekend at Crombie's. Be you a first-time listener or a long-suffering spouse, we welcome you. I am Hugh. I have incredibly sensitive chest. And my name is uh, James Evans Esquire. Um, There is no deceit in cauliflower. (laughs) And with that, we will move into our film, (laughs) chosen by James... Which Indeed, is the heartbreak kid. James, would you like to kick us off? I will. I will. I will attempt to keep this synopsis of reasonable length. Um, and uh, yeah, so this the heartbreak kid, um, nineteen seventy two comedy. I think I think it's our first comedy. I think we were, we were discussing this pre pre edit, and I think yeah. this is our first comedy. I can't. I know that there's been some comedy, Dancing in the Dark, for example, is hilarious. <laughs> We've um, had probably comedic elements. Again, um, comedic elements, The yeah. Phantom of the Paradise had... was pitched as a comedy. There are some funny moments in Quigley, um, mostly yeah. involving violence against um, men's groins. Um, yeah. But Nuns on the yes. Run! Nuns on the Run! How dare you? Nuns on the Run oh, is a comedy. Of course, Nuns on the Run. My... Comedy. Yes. Oh, my mistake. So, yeah, Nuns <laughs> on the Run. Absolutely. Yes. Well, second comedy. There we go. First comedy of this, this volume. Um, so. <laughs> The Heartbreak Kid um, is, as I said, a 1972 film uh, directed by Elaine May. It stars Charles Grodin and Sybil Shepherd mm-hmm. and Jeannie Berlin. And it's a story of um, a kind of, I suppose you could describe him as a relatively self-centred or kind of e- ego-driven um, uh, young man called Lenny Cantro, played by Charles Grodin. And he is um, courting and about to marry um, uh, Lila, uh, who's played by Jeannie Berlin, um, and th- th- they are they're they're kind of in the process of um, you know um, at the start of the film you see them uh, you know meeting on a, on a date and then quickly quickly um, you know, montage style goes through to their their wedding. So these are newlyweds, and the, the yeah. wedding is um, uh, you know n- nicely filmed in the context of um, the whole family is there. It's a big Jewish Jewish wedding. Yeah, the they great also set in New York. That's very clear. Is the beginning. He's amongst the New York streets. He's a, a, a door-to-door salesman of sporting goods. Uh, so he's jobbing around. Um, again, they, yeah, they have this massive Jewish ceremony with the, all the the traditions in it, and he's you know, surrounded by well wishes and everything. So they they zoom off in the, in his car um, on what seems like a three-day trip to Miami, which is very adventurous. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this is a pre-airline day. Yeah, so they get go, they go on their honeymoon, and and you know they've they've obviously not been they've not been dating for very long when they get married, and it looks like they're you know um, Lila's parents are, are a little, have been a little bit pushy in perhaps getting them married, and, and Lenny then he obviously goes with it. And what's well, I thought I thought maybe the hurry to get married was because she was denying him sex until they got married because he's, yeah, he's, he's but, very yeah. keen to sleep with her, um, and she doesn't want to do it until they're married. Um, yes, and they, so they he rushes married. through. He rushes through the road, perhaps without necessarily knowing everything about each other. So they go on. They're going to go to Miami Beach for their honeymoon, and um, the, the, the kind of the, the the first kind of act of the film is is um, them on their on their road trip. As you say, it takes about three days, and they go through 
is it Georgia and they go through Virginia, Vermont and yeah. Virginia. Not, not, they yes. get, they go through Vermont. <laughs> no, 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 they go through Virginia. Yeah. Um, anyway, as, as they as they're on their journey, they you know it, there's first signs perhaps that um, Jeannie um, and uh, sorry, not Jeannie, Lila and uh, Lenny um, are perhaps not quite. Um, compatible, although Lila obviously is completely oblivious to any issue that might be going on. So they're in the car and they're obviously singing, um, was it close to me? Yeah, you long. Why do, do, why do birds suddenly do yeah. communards? Yeah. It's <laughs> not the communards. Oh, no, that's not the communards. Is that the communards? Jimmy Somerville? We might, we might be getting off track in the synopsis. They're singing a love song and she kind of yeah. hits a note and he goes, You have a really terrible voice. Um, <laughs> yeah. in a nice yeah. way um, but she, she's actually she's very honeymoon mode she's she's all twitchy she's very excited she's talking about their futures yeah. together yeah. she's she's all lovey dovey up and he suddenly finds lots of things about it irritating he finds the way she sings irritating the way she eats a sandwich irritating yeah. the way she um, well the, the way, way she eats a sandwich is irritating <laughs> <laughs> but we'll come on we'll come on to that we'll come on to that I see so, you side you're yes. on yeah, so this is this is the, the 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 first part of their honeymoon, effectively. And this is part of the honeymoon itself. Yeah. And they they you know uh, during this process they uh, book into a motel and you know they they um they make love for the first time. They they um they uh um get get down and dirty, shall we say? Although it's not on <laughs> speak. but it's quite funny because it, it, you know other things start to happen um, that irritate Lenny Cantor as well. So uh, during the lovemaking process, she's constantly asking Lenny for affirmation as to whether he thinks it's good, whether he's enjoying himself, and he's obviously getting more and more irritated about this because all he wants to do is just get on with it. And <laughs> he's not really get involved in this lovey dovey stuff. Yeah, but also he, he then starts to just have a, a slap in reality that there's a human being there because when she goes to, you know, to the toilet, he's suddenly, oh my god, this is not a dream woman after all. <laughs> And he yeah, seems horrified exactly. by this fact. And again, though uh, I'll probably stand by you on the, on the way she eats a sandwich, most of her sort of quirks and foibles are essentially just being a human being. Yes, uh, there, there's I nothing agree. disgraceful about she doesn't have to be a closet no, racist. She's no. she's just a quite happy and cheerful and excited new bride. Um, but I think he, she's, yes, you're right. I think yeah. she's quite a simple character. Yeah. Um, in in the sense that she's just she's bubbly, she's happy, she's in love, yeah. and he is coming to the realisation that everything that she does <laughs> is profoundly irritating to him. Yeah. And the problem is, is that they're on their honeymoon. But, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, these are teething problems, perhaps. Uh, yeah. Teething problems for the couple. But anyway, they, they, they end up in Miami, um, and they've booked into a, a, a hotel. It's, a, it's one of those kind of, like, complexes overlooking a, a pool and, and on the beach itself. And um, so, um, again, Lenny... And uh, Lila, they're going to spend all afternoon on the beach. Lila's doing her hair. It's taken her absolutely ages. So Lenny goes downstairs and decides, well, I'll, I'll go and do a bit of sunbathing. Get some sunbathing in before before you go down. So they agreed to meet um, on, on the actual kind of by the swimming pool itself. So he's he, he finds a little place on the beach, on the sand. And um, this silhouette, um, this kind of shadow of, of uh, can't quite work it out. Um, covers the sun and he's a bit annoyed what's going on here why are you blocking my son turns out that it's Sybil Shepherd um beautiful um Sybil Shepherd um who is playing oh I can't remember what her name is now um Kelly Corcoran uh, or Kelly Kelly Corcoran that's right she's playing Kelly Corcoran who is a uh, um this kind of you know almost a Nordic beauty as it were so she, she's I, like, I thought like, very Hitchcockian when, when you saw her she, she's just got the long yes. blonde hair quite glacial yeah. in in her demeanor um, yeah. And yeah. 
one assumes and it's either... manipulative in her ways. I think. Yes, yeah, but she, I assume, was being flirtatious. She basically goes, "You're in my spot. Um, everyone is yes. in my spot." Um, yeah, and and then she prances off into the sea, and he's immediately smitten by her. Immediately smitten by her, uh, and um, at that point, um, Lilac is is has got herself ready and is is down on on the um, the. It's not really a promenade, is it? It's by the swimming pool. She's yeah. calling to him. You know, Lenny, what, what, who, who's that over there? What are you doing? Come on, come up here. And yeah. being generally a little bit irritating. So they go and lie next to each other. And um, as as it happens, she falls asleep in the sun and has horrific sunburn. Well, no, she, didn't um, fall asleep. She, she was deliberately trying to get a nice tan. She refused to put on sunblock or anything like that. That's um, yes. We, we, and she spends a little bit too much time in the sun. Yeah, so she comes out absolutely horribly sunburned. Um, and yeah. Lenny is is basically very annoyed with her for doing this. He's kind of slapping yeah, yeah. wet towels on her um, as she's clearly in a lot of pain, um, just complaining that, I told you not to lie in the sun. Yeah. I didn't find no tan. There is no sympathy at all, no. He's he's utterly ruthless with his... <laughs> he's, he, um, is, he is. And then so after, after sort of throwing wet towels on top of her to, to ease the sunburn, he then takes her off to the bar for a beer. <laughs> Yeah, he does. He goes down down to the bar for the beer, and lo and behold, who should who should turn up but Kelly Corcoran again? Indeed. Um, who says the same kind of line? You know, that's you're sitting in my seat. Yes. And they they they, it, she's you know she's clearly um toying with him a little bit, um, and he is absolutely smitten yeah. by her. Um, and um, they make an agreement that um that potentially they'll meet again in the morning, um. You know, she rather kind of um, seductively says to him, "Make sure you're not you're not in my spot again tomorrow," um, and so on and so forth. So he he's suddenly got this idea in his head that, "Wow, oh my God, I'm I'm uh, there's I'm uh, there's a chance here. This beautiful woman is is um, coming on to me, and I am totally smitten with this woman." So um, he he starts to think, "Perhaps I've made a terrible mistake in marrying Lila." And I need to perhaps get out of this situation. But, I mean, that's all to come, perhaps. Yeah. But yeah, at the moment, at the moment, he's done probably nothing untoward other than talk briefly with an attractive woman. It's sort of when tomorrow, when the tomorrow comes, and he dashes off at seven o'clock, leaving Lyra to slap cold cream on herself and reduce the sunburn yeah. uh, as he dashes yeah. off, and then starts spends the whole day basically frolicking in the surf with Sybil Shepherd. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, le- le- yeah. Leaving Lyther in the hotel room all day with nothing to do, and then obviously comes back in the evening, just before. Um, just, so it comes back in the evening after this kind of incredible days had frolicking in the sea and the sand with yeah. with Kelly. Um, and um, they agreed to meet for a drink that evening as well. So now he's he's yeah, imme- he immediately invents um, an ex-army buddy uh, who yeah. he has to have a drink with, and but he will he promises to come back and take um, Lila out for a meal at nine. So he sort of dashes off to. Um, to Sybil Shepherd's or Kelly Corcoran's um, hotel, where they meet for a drink. I think that's when he's he confesses that he's both married and prepared to leave it for Kelly. And Kelly's response yes. to this is still very glacial. She's kind of um, he asks her, how, you know, he basically confesses all his love for her and that he's going to leave his wife yeah. and go for her. Yeah. And because what does she think? And she goes, well, I was listening. I can't think while I'm listening. Um, yeah. Which which yeah. is quite a, quite a loose thread to hang your life on, but he goes for it. <laughs> It is because because she doesn't she's quite ambiguous. She doesn't actually say anything no. that would give any indication that she's interested. But yeah. she kind of just lets him go on and on yeah. and on. And through that, he starts to I think assume that Kelly is completely um, interested yeah. in him. Yeah. Um, even though that may not necessarily be the case. Mm. This is the first point. The first point as well that we meet um, 
Mr. and Mrs. Corcoran, Kelly Corcoran's uh, mother and father. Yeah. And they're obviously very wealthy, incredibly wealthy um, socialites, I guess, really, but very kind of um, very... I'd probably say not socialites because they're from Minnesota. No. That's the thing. They're, they're, they're just, yeah, very successful um, they're, they're kind of <laughs> repu- they're Republican, um, very strong... Well, he, um, yeah, he works in bank as well. He's uh, the yeah. yeah. It's but it's always yeah, again it's a contrast to um, Lenny's character of being this kind of yeah. hustling Jewish New York character. Yeah. They are yeah. old money banking Midwest yeah. America, this kind of stuff. So obviously they don't approve of him at all, um, despite the fact no. that he's, he's also leaving over their daughter. And also uh, he managed to get himself invited to dinner. Um, yeah. Where again, um, I think this is probably the first time you see Kelly's motivations because he's saying he doesn't want to come to dinner. And she just goes to her daddy. I'll, uh, he will if I ask him. And yeah, she exactly. realizes she has it completely under her thumb. Um, and they all go yeah. for for this theatre dinner, um, which is mortifying because of course no one wants him there. But he's he's gamely trying to charm everybody. <laughs> I don't, yeah, things, he, I don't think he even really wants to be there. Certainly not no. at the start. But as, as, Partly because he knows the, also he's now breaking his dinner date with his wife, but also because yeah, he's doing his um, best. Um, also, I will say this bizarre dinner date, they've actually got Dom DeLuise, um, the actual actor, to be Dom DeLuise, the entertainer, in this dinner date. Yeah. But I don't know if they got a cheaper exactly rate. Was. Yeah, I don't know if they got a cheaper rate for him, because all he's doing is going, like he's not actually doing want to waste any material on the on the, on the, the cameo. He just wanted to be sure that Dudley was doing dinner theatre. It was quite funny that bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was just wondering, what on earth is this act? It's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> just someone on stage going, yeah, da 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 discussing about how brilliant he is and how <laughs> how wonderful the show is when all he's doing is going I think that's deliberate it, it must was a be simpler deliberate. time they had they had very basic taste back then a man could stand yeah. on stage for four hours and go and they'd eat that <laughs> so, so L- L- Lenny at this point uh, um, he, he kind of he almost kind of invites himself to a boat a boat excursion that yeah. um, the Corcoran's and the Corcoran's kind of um, dinner dates who they're with Sim- going similarly old the money have a yacht similarly yeah, yeah. Um, and you know he, he uh, her father is is ab- just absolutely mortified by this idea that, that, that this upstart is going to be coming on their, their yeah. trip in the morning so he goes well, I suppose he goes it, it to, is to his advantage that they're all such uptight washbridge Americans because they're all too polite to send a bugger off <laughs> yeah, it's all like really kind of, well. if you want to come yes why not you come along too well, I think part of the issue here is that um, as well as Kelly Corker and having Lenny completely under her control, she also has her father completely under her control yeah, as well to a large extent. Skill. And so it's all a game for her, I, I reckon. It's yeah. all about control and, and power. Yeah. But nonetheless, so um, Lenny has to go home now and confess to his wife why he didn't come home at nine o'clock. Um, so I think he invents a car crash. Uh, with this, uh, he does, and yeah. he's a very yeah. slick liar because he has he has the names of the officers who who pulled him out, and he's he's it, the the there is not a, a he doesn't miss a beat in coming out with this massive detail. Obviously, so much yeah. detail it's obvious he's lying. But um, and when you know, she goes, "Did you get into an accident?" He goes, "You think I'm lying?" <laughs> and he's absolutely horrified that he might be you know considered not not telling the truth. 
Um, and then on, and... Did you not see it on the TV? Yeah. Do, you, do you want me to give you the name of the officer? <laughs> He's got the phone in his hand. Call him. I will call Officer Dibble now or whatever. Um, yeah. So his name wasn't Officer Dibble. That's a terrible name. That's why I couldn't lie off the cuff because <laughs> he invents yeah. a very realistic officer's name who arrested yeah. a very realistic army buddy who doesn't exist but was nonetheless injured in this crash, which then gives him yeah. rationale to go off the next day to, to pretend he's going to be in court all day testifying but he yes, then goes exactly. on the boat and he literally yeah. has to so the next morning he, he gets up early leaves yeah. um as i think at this he's he's at this point <laughs> liar is ready to come out but he's, he's now telling her you stay where you are oh it's so lovely in this room oh it's so hot out here you've got this lovely air conditioning no you you lucky yeah. person and after he dashes gonna, to, yeah 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 i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a, you know don't don't think about me you just stay here all day it's the best for you it's the best yeah. thing for you you need to recover yeah. i'm just gonna be in a hot courtroom all day it's gonna be horrible yeah, yeah. So, really... he, so, he, so he runs off now on the boat um and, and manages to leap on it because they're literally departing without him but he manages yeah. it um and I think that this is the, he has he has a day what well, looks like just hanging out with them um, with Kelly hanging somebody on the boat. But then the, the evening they have another drink, and this is when he sort of lays his cards on the table. And then yeah. he tells Mister Mister Corcoran that he plans to wed her daughter. There's one slight problem: I'm still married. I'm on my honeymoon, actually. <laughs> this, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mister Corcoran has probably uh, quite a, a normal reaction, saying there is no way you're a nut. Get out of here. <laughs> Go back to your wife. And he's getting visibly angry as well, yeah. isn't he? He's like, he's, he's shaking. Yeah, he's, it's he's quite a very, famous seat, actually. Yeah, he's very, very quiet. And then, yeah, just gets like, do, do, I, do, I have your, do I have your blessings? And not if you tied me to a horse. <laughs> or tied my tongue to a horse and let it run. Not if you tied, yeah. put a gun in my mouth. It's very slow burning and ends up with him screaming at him. So, yeah, that's uh, the uh, the scene. Um, and and what, what Lenny takes from this is, okay, so you're telling me I have to f- win you over. <laughs> Yeah, totally oblivious yeah. to his own um, situation. Yeah. Yeah. He is totally oblivious to it. Um, and then, and then, uh, so what he has to do then? He's basically put his cards on the table. He is, he is, he's all in. Yeah, now. he's all in. And in fact, Kelly, um, Kelly has pushed him because he keeps saying, you know, he's he's got to get ready to drop the bomb, and she leaves him a cocktail napkin note saying "bombs away," which is really her yeah. nudge saying "make it happen." Yeah. Yeah, and he does. Yeah, yeah, he does. So he then <laughs> he, does, he then invites. He finally takes his wife out for a lovely dinner on their honeymoon. They have they have lobster and it's a beautiful meal. And uh, yeah, he um, he 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 announces. Well, it's 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 painful. It's painfully long, the the, the process because he's obviously he's obviously nervous and he doesn't actually want to get the words out. Yeah, initially um, initially she so assumes he, he's dying and he's come here to confess yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, at which yeah. point he suddenly becomes a lot less um, diplomatic and just goes, "I'm not dying. I just want another damn marriage." Yeah, yeah, um, and she obviously falls apart completely. Yeah, um, and that is the last uh, we see of her. He, he, he. Um, it is. He, as as, as she is. literally is breaking down as a human being. She is. He's telling her, "You'll get a great settlement, and you'll get to keep all the wedding gifts too, and you'll keep my car. It's a good yeah. car." Um, and he goes, "I think, I think it's best if we just we wrap this up tonight because then we can check out. <laughs> check out time is tomorrow." Yeah, so yeah. He, he literally yeah. can't wait to rush her out, and we never see her again. But we then we we slap we snap cut to him signing either the annulment or the divorce papers um, to end the marriage, yeah. and then zoom he's right off to Minnesota the next day to 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 knock on Mr. Corcoran's door and pronounce his intentions. He does, and he does that, and um, again, Mr. Corcoran is not pleased to see him. He's um, so shoes him away from from his house. Um, says, you know, if, if I ever see you here again, I'll kill you or something, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I'll shoot you in the head or something like that. So then he, he gets back in his car and he drives around to the college that um, Kelly is yeah. studying at. Well, the first time and, Kelly is um, less than impressed to see him too. He, well, unsurprisingly, <laughs> yeah. um, 
she, she, the first we see of her in Minnesota, you know, it's it's cold, it's a wasteland, there's lots of snow, and yeah. he's huddled in his car thinking, what the hell have I done here? Yeah. And then she's walking towards um, the car with two kind of beefy athletes yeah. um, in her arms. Obviously, you know, they're putty in her arms again. And he just jumps out the car and says, Kelly Heights me, and she's like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> what the hell are you doing here? Oh, it's, it's, it's uh, much more... Um... The passive was like, oh, I'm I'm really very flattered you came. Yes, okay. Oh, yes, by yes. by then I really am very flattered. But you know that was holiday. I'm really very flattered. But bye bye. <laughs> he's, he's not really taken by it. Especially insists she comes to his car and he he not quite guilt trips her, but he's very much like I gave up my what entire is... marriage and my life for you. Yeah. Uh, which seems he's to do the trick. Yeah, which seems to do the trick he's... because she, she then kisses him and agrees to go on a date with him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, 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 he's persistent, and I think I think that there is that element there where she thinks, well, all right, let's give this a go then. <laughs> um, and so she does, and then they 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 go to a little kind of um, uh, like a not a log it cabin, is, but, it is uh, really a log cabin, yes, a log cabin, yes, a log cabin that the family own, and um, it's it's where they they um, connect. Um, and they become a a, a, a partnership in, in 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 many ways. So um, she then invites him. Uh, to dinner, but has to persuade obviously Mr. Corcoran, um, yeah. and sh- she manages to do that. He comes to dinner, um, and it, again, it's one of those, it's one of those really awkward, <laughs> uncomfortable scenes where he's describing um, his views, his political views, and um, what Which he wants to do. Which he's clearly just wife. picked up off the Minnesota Times because he's, he's, yeah, exactly. he has all these wonderful Republican this ideas. This is the kind of thing that Mr. Corcoran would want to hear. Yeah. And this is where he's talking about, you know, what I really like is very simple cooking. I like home cooking. I like things from the from the earth. You know, America today, lots of people take from the earth. And I think what we want to put back is put back things in the earth. And then he's describing things like, you know, what I like about this meal is cauliflower. There's no deceit in cauliflower. Broccoli is very honest. Yeah. Meat. <laughs> American beef is 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 very um, grounded. All this kind of stuff, which is absolute nonsense. Yeah, and actually, again, even um, Mrs. Corcoran, quite without gal, goes, "Oh, that's an interesting view. I read that in the Minnesota Times this morning. Was, I, I didn't catch that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. so Mr. Corcoran, yeah. So then the men retire to speak. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to say, at this point, you're kind of thinking, well, maybe Mr. Corcoran has been. Um, persuaded by this yes. and uh, you know they're in they're in the um they're in his study and he says do you want a cigar and he's like man to man yeah. you know what lenny i've been I've, I've been impressed actually with you impressed at the sheer level of bullshit that you've been saying <laughs> all evening and basically what he does is that he offers lenny a bribe for him to just go away and never be seen again and by inflation it's a pretty good bribe, bribe. It goes up to twenty five thousand yeah. dollars for him just to walk away, and he, and basically then he's like, well, no, you know, I I am not going to walk away. I was in the army. <laughs> I was in the army um, uh, for three years, and I stand by my principles. I mean, it just so happened that I had a bad back, so I didn't actually fight. I, I must uh, say that I was that was one of the again, Charles Grodin's best delivered lines is when he's all wounded pride, and he goes, I yeah. I was in the army for three years, and every year every day I fought not overseas because of a minor back injury, but I fought. <laughs> And it's it's it is it's very well played. it's very well played and it's almost I think that is almost the the nub of Lenny's a character is um yeah. yeah we'll get into the analysis but it's I almost felt that point it's it's quite a British comedic factor it's not so yes, much American you don't see that kind of character in American but that could easily be Hancock or Faulty or yes. um, any number of this quite oh, pompous but also slightly undermining of pathetic characters that you get that is a quite yeah. staple of British comedy um, and he, I mean he's he, he's deluded isn't he that's what it is yeah. he's deluded 
um, but yeah, he's very pompous. He's very British. Yeah. Um, so, but um, it, 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 he obviously isn't going to accept the money, um, much to Mr. Corcoran's surprise. The next scene is a wedding. And it's the wedding of um, Lenny Cantro and Kelly Corcoran. Yes. And this is where I think that the film, the film is basically bookended by two weddings. At the start, mm. it's with Lenny and Lila, and at the end, it's Lenny and Kelly. And um, the end wedding, it's obviously a much bigger affair, and there are lots of kind of businessmen, and, and there are lots of um, kind of old money, and he's doing the kind of circuit of the wedding, talking to people, basically the same conversation that he's had at the dinner with uh, with the, uh, Kelly Corcoran and her yeah. parents. For, for, the groom, for the groom at the wedding, it's it's clear that none of his friends are there, and he's he, he all he has is this shallow chit-chat um, yeah. that he brings to the dinner yeah. table. So he's, um, and nobody's paying him any attention, and, yeah. and Kelly's not really paying him any attention, and the parents aren't really paying him any attention. Yeah. And um, then, it, then it cuts to the final scenes, really, where he's... In the end, what he's doing is talking to two children about his political views <laughs> that he's got from the, the Minnesotan uh, times. Um, uh, and they're not interested either, and they walk off. And then he's just sat forlornly on the couch at the wedding when everyone, all the hubbub's going on around him, and his face is is quite forlorn. Yeah. And the, no, there are no words necessarily, but the, the, the assumption is is that he's actually he's, he's he's in the same situation that he was when he married Lila. Yeah. Although what you know. there is, is him humming Close to You, which is the song they were singing at the start. Exactly. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's perhaps that the, 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 the chase is more exciting than the goal, as it were, if that yeah. makes sense. Although um, it's probably, yeah. again, it was, it's very clear from the way the film was set up. He was, there was never going to be satisfied with what he got. It was like, you know, we're, we're what you wish for. He was clearly yeah. not, even even though he achieved beyond his, his ambition, there was you know, in, in, yeah. in, in, no way in reality he could have succeeded in this. Even the fact he does, he's not happy with it. No, he isn't. Um, and, and that's the end of The Heartbreak Kid. That's the end of The Heartbreak Kid. It plays out then. It does, it does. Um, and that so... wasn't a bad synopsis, can we... <laughs> <laughs> no, not bad at all. I don't know. Yeah, that's. Are we getting, I don't know. Sometimes I think we're getting better. Then there'll be one film where we talk about it for four hours. So let's just go <laughs> to the flow. Anyway, join us in part two where we shall analyse the analysis. Welcome back. Welcome back, all. Glad you stuck with us. Uh, we will go straight into it, and we will begin with James. Will tell us why he chose the Heartbreak Kid. James, why did you choose the Heartbreak Kid? Um, yeah, why did I choose the Heartbreak Kid? So I, um, what remember was it? It must have been about six or seven months ago. I watched a film on Netflix called A New Leaf. So um, I say I watched it on Netflix, although I watched it on Netflix. It's a film from 1970, so it just happened okay. to be on Netflix okay. when I watched it. It wasn't a Netflix, a Netflix own film, if that makes sense. Um, but it's got Walter Matthau in it. Okay. And Walter Matthau stars as uh, like an, uh, an old uh, a socialite who has lost all of his money and um, needs to find uh, a wife with a lot of money who he can then maintain his way of life. As okay. well. um, and he, the, the woman in it is Elaine May. Okay. Uh, who also directed that film, okay. New Leaf. Yes. It's a very, it's a very very funny film. Um, it it's got some cracking one-liners in it, and I think it's a, it's an excellent it's an excellent um, kind of satirical comedy that's filled with pathos and um, 
sadness in many ways, but it's done. It's done. It's done in a way that is very kind of light touch, so that it's not. It's, I mean, it's not as it's not as awkward as the Heartbreak Kid, but it's yeah. it's certainly of, of that type. And I thought it was excellent. One one of the one of the best comedies I've seen for for a long, long time. Oh, a new um, leaf, you say. And, a new leaf. Sorry, my my tone was initially scornful because I thought it was a film about leaves, but um, I, I, can, <laughs> I can see now. I'll have to mark that down. Um, so a new leaf. Well, interesting you say that. It's because uh, it's called a new leaf because the woman plays a, um, a, a plant expert ah. who is looking for a, a new species of leaf. So I won't go into the detail of the film, but it's worth watching. It, yeah, but, yeah. but it is very acerbic. It's very funny. Okay. And um, I hadn't realised. I'd never heard of Elaine May before. Yeah. Um, but she was quite a, a famous um, kind of comedian, stroke um, filmmaker of um, in, in in the nineteen sixties and the nineteen. This the partner of Mike Nichols, is that right? Yes, that's right. Supposed to be yeah, the graduate absolutely. Mike Nichols. Yeah. And so, having watched that film, yeah. I thought, oh, I want to find out a little bit more about her. Yeah. She only ever made four films: A New okay. Leaf, The Heartbreak Kid, Paulie and Nikki, I think, or Mikey and Nikki, okay. um, which is like a gangster film with Peter Falk oh. and he made she made Ishtar with Ooh. Dustin Hoffman Ooh, and famous Warren Ishtar B- <laughs> Dustin yes. Hoffman and Warren Beatty yeah yeah so um, she and that was the film that basically killed her career yeah <laughs> Um, it has it has some it has quite a lot of followers and it's potentially a weekend at Crombie's film okay. but I wanted to watch her follow up film to a new leaf which was the heartbreaking um and that was the reason why I chose it. Um, I, I I like her sensibility. I liked what she did with the New Leaf, and I'm keen to know. I'm keen to find out more about her as a filmmaker. Basically, okay. um, that was that was the reason why I, I I wanted to watch the film. I also am an absolutely massive fan of Charles Grodin, yeah. um, who I think is a really underrated comedic actor. Yeah. Um, and he's in a lot of fantastic films. I mean, even even family based films like Beethoven, he's very good in it. Yeah. Um, he, he's an excellent actor. He's in one of my favourite films, which is Midnight Run. He's in with, one um, of... with um, Robert De Niro, and he's brilliant in that. And that's a fantastic film as well. So he's it, in it, one of my favourite of... films, which is The Great Muppet Caper. Yes, he is. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And I think I think Charles Grodin, he 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 deserves to be. I mean, he is well known. Don't get me wrong, but I think he deserves to be more well known. I think he deserves to be up there with some of the great comedy actors, yeah. I think. Um, such as his timing and his performance, particularly in this film as well, is is really, really, really good. Yeah. I think, I think he's, he's excellent. So that's, a, that's the reason why I chose the film. Um, yeah, really. I mean, that, that was it's as good as any. And it's been lost. I mean, it was remade a few years ago with Ben Stiller yes. and Marlon Ackerman as the Lenny and Lila roles. And... Um, uh, I can't remember what the, the actress's name is. Uh, I know who you mean. Yeah, Michelle Monaghan as um as in Kelly Corcoran. And to be honest, I've not seen it. It's not got great reviews, and um, I I don't know why you'd remake the Heartbreak Kid um in in a, in a kind of similar but dissimilar way, effectively. Yeah. So this film has got a bit of a reputation. The Heartbreak Kid, the nineteen seventy two version, it's yeah. got a bit of a reputation. It's considered. Although it's considered a classic, it's also considered a little bit lost in the ether of time yeah. because a lot of other films that are followed, particularly Hollywood films, comedic Hollywood films now, which are um, the kind of Judd is Apatow yeah. style of filmmaking, the kind of Seth Rogen style of filmmaking, all, all, all the, feel all the, a little yeah. 
they'll feel a little bit like this kind of improvised scenes that are kind of filmed to continue to be filmed until the improvisation kind of runs out of steam yeah you know a little bit loose a little bit kind of fluid but with a structure around the screenplay around that so you see a lot of this type of film now and i think because of that it's got lost in the ether, but I yeah. think it deserved a bit of a kind of weekend at Crombie's view. Okay, interesting when you said you didn't know why they'd remake it, because um, it was the Frally Brothers who remade it, again, with Ben Stiller. Yeah. Again, I That's think it. it was essentially pitching it as a retread of something about Mary, because it is about the, the hapless Stiller who, again, falls for a dream woman, um, with the with the different narrative of, again, having a wife already. But for my analysis, I can actually see how the Friday Birds would be picking up on this, um, but we'll probably come to that further on in the actual analysis of it. But I, I saw, when I saw, again, the, the, the new film does look awful, but I did see that the connection, why they would be drawn to it. But Yeah, fair enough. Um, so yeah. that was why you chose it. So you was the, the directorial choice. Um, so would you like to, to kick off with the analysis of this? Yeah, so... so... We, we kind of we we skittled through the the synopsis a little bit. The, yeah. the, for me, there are um, there are a number of scenes in the film which I think are quite. I, I'm going to use the word iconic, but they're iconic in retrospect, having yeah. now seen the film, if that makes sense. But I can understand the impact that they've had. Um, the 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 the, um, the th- there are four key. I think there are four key scenes in the film, effectively. You've got the book ending of the marriage at the front and the marriage at the end, the marriage at the start and the marriage at the end, sorry. Yeah. And um, the marriage at the start is, is, is very, it's a, it's a quite, I think it's quite funny, um, but it's a very kind of very specifically Jewish style wedding. Yeah. Um, and it's very kind of, it's, it's very, it's not low key necessarily, but it's quite, um, What's the word I'm looking for? It, 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 it's not elegant. It's not graceful. It, it's it's a little bit more kind of rough and ready. Yeah. There's one great bit in it when um, it's clearly in the front room of, of, of Lila's parents and there's not really enough room for all of the chairs to be laid out and all of the guests. And Lila's being walked down the aisle by her father and her mother on both sides. And there's not enough room in the aisle to go all the way down. So they're kind of pushing into the chairs and knocking them over a little bit as they're yeah. walking down. And that 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 sets up who Lila is and what her family's like in the sense that they're very close. They're obviously very loving, but they're kind of they're they're they don't have much elegance about them, perhaps. Um, And they don't have much sophistication necessarily. And then at the end of the film, you've got the wedding, which is very ostentatious, very um, well attended, very kind of highfalutin. But it's probably a little bit empty and it's a little bit lacking of humanity and lacking of kind of um, a, a kind of sense of emotion and connection. Even though, you know, Kelly's parents clearly love her. Yeah. She is quite cold, manipulative um, and kind of just um, she uses sex appeal for her own kind of process, I guess, in that regard. Yeah. And in that context, you see you see Lenny basically lost so in both situations, the kind of simple, unelegant, but pr- emotionally um, strong Jewish family network and connection at the start and the cold, old money, Midwestern, old American, um, elegant wedding at the end. He's lost as well. He doesn't fit in either. Yeah. Um, which I think is quite interesting. The other two scenes, which I think are really kind of important, happen almost smack bang in the middle of the film. Yeah. And they are the two restaurant scenes. Yeah. You've got the one restaurant scene with Kelly and her father and mother, where he lays his 
you know, quotation marks, cards on the table. Yeah. And it's an absolutely fantastic um, example of squirmishness and, and awkwardness about the fact that he totally just does not he's totally blind to what it is that he's doing and saying yeah uh just thinks that if he's if he gives the impression that he's determined and driven then kelly's mother and father will uh, will warm to him without realizing that what he's effectively saying is that i am on my honeymoon and i am asking you if i can marry your teenage effectively daughter yeah uh and it's it's really it's really embarrassing, and the reaction of um, Mr. Corcoran in particular is is brilliant in that. Uh, it's, it's really good, and then it cuts directly to his conversation with Lila, where they're she's obviously having a lovely meal. He knows what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, there's the, the there's problems with the waiters. There's problems with the um, is it I can't remember what is it the treacle the, 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 the pecan the treacle pie the pecan pie. <laughs> The pe- yes, the pecan pie, which they've decided specifically to come to this restaurant for, isn't available, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. It all goes wrong, yeah. and then um, in the end, he tells Lila what he what he thinks. And you know, up until that point, it had been because you know what's coming. There's a kind of uh, there's a tension in you because you think, God, this is awful, and he's he's being a real idiot, yeah. um, and she's totally oblivious to it. Uh, so she it's really awkward in that context as well. But when it actually comes out. She's genuinely devastated. Yeah, it's it's not a comedic and, uh, reaction. It, move, it moves from comedy to pathos and tragedy. Yeah. Um. And and the final scene of that is her literally just weeping in his arms, and it's not comedic at all. Yeah. It's it's really quite tragic in there, yeah. and it's at that point which I think that's what gives the comedy such power in the film, okay. because it is, it it is the blackest of black comedies, and Lenny is not. He's not uh, he's not he's a character that is egotistic, that is um, totally oblivious to anything else around him other than his own sense of personal goals and what he needs to be satisfied himself at the expense of anything else. He's not a character that you want to warm to, but in Charles Grodin's hands, he is a character that you kind of end up do warming to and feel maybe a little bit of sympathy at the end which is absurd <laughs> I will come again I'll, I'll now lay my cards on the table I yeah. really like Charles Grodin again as an actor and a comic actor and I thought he did a good job in this but yeah. Yeah. there was the issue of not warming or not even empathising with Lenny that's very difficult he is a he's almost a sociopath in, in the, in the yeah, way yeah. he handles things and I found that dinner scene really really uncomfortable to watch and not in the black comedy way that the previous scene was that was what i'd regard as kind of the comedy of mortification where you're just yes you're biting in your face like oh my god i can't believe he's doing this why doesn't he see and you actually it's really it's the kind of stuff you'd see i guess in the office or um you know modern comedies where it's just um it is actually quite a modern sensibility of it's just you're there's no laugh track and there's no there's no relief you're just watching this person circle the the reason why it's because in that first dinner scene lenny is the butt of the joke yeah um, and in the second one, it's Lila, and Lila doesn't deserve it. 
that's the thing. There's, there's a couple of things. Firstly, yeah, Lyra was given is given no kind of hook to her character, other than again, being a human being who eats a sandwich messily and can't sing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with Lyra. There's, she doesn't in, um, portray any ba- any badness or or deserving of this bad treatment, or even setting herself up for it. She thinks she's on a honeymoon, and she has no reason to suspect otherwise. Mm-hmm. And he just drops the bum on her in the most cruel way. And when she is in, you know, when she she says, you know, she has the reaction of I'm going to be sick. I need to get out of here. He's literally yeah. forcing her back down to the table yeah, and don't pushing. Make yeah, but, uh, yeah, and, and pushing water in her mouth and saying, "Don't make me go through this. I can't tell you all this again. I got, um, you know, let's just end yeah. this." And and you know, he's destroyed so it's her life. It's all about him. It's always all about him. Yeah, he's destroyed her life, and and just says, "Well, can we end this tomorrow really quickly? Because I've got something else I need to take care of." And yeah. it's it's yeah. it's very uncomfortable to watch. I found I did not enjoy it's it. Stressful. It's yeah, stressful. and yeah. it it was like watching again, like spousal abuse. It was horrid, and that yeah. was a problem for me in the film. I I. That almost you say that was the turning point of the film. That was when I went from thinking, oh well, this is you know I I get where this is going with the comedy. He's clearly just going overboard with you know he's he's he's, he's chasing his quarter's dream. I went to that scene. I can see that going that direction was a choice, but I don't think yeah. it was a choice that made the film work for me. Yeah, no, and that's uh, I I so I tend to agree with you as well. Um, I think that both scenes were very well played. Yeah. And I think that um, in particular, I think Jeannie Berlin's performance in the the Lila role yeah. is 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 really, really good because because up until that point, she's she's almost a figure of ridicule from Lenny's perspective. Yeah. Um, not necessarily from our perspective as, as viewers, as, as, as voyeurs of what's happening, but from Lenny's perspective, she's a she's a figure. She's she's in the way. She's a she's a figure of um, uh, kind of pa- passive irritation, and she's a figure of fun. Yeah. Well, fun maybe is the wrong word, but but it but it's it's it, it's innocent in the way that she is clearly just irritating him. That's the thing, so yeah. When, when you know, she, she she irritates him in a funny way, she gets sunburned, and she and she she looks quite comical as she's and she's moaning. So it is mostly just she's just the the yeah the irritant, the nagging shrew or the but wife ever. But you're right, it, it is in that scene that it moves from her as being a kind of comedic character to an absolutely tragic figure yeah. who has been you know treated just abysmally. Yeah. And the the thing about the scene is that it goes it, it lasts a long time, it goes on and on. Yeah. And um he's getting more and more distraught, not at the fact that she is distraught at the fact that it's not going how he expected it or wanted it to go. Yeah. And that makes it worse. And, you know, for, for me, again, the bit the bit where Lila is weeping and not just weeping, but, you know, it's it's guttural. It, 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 is, it is a kind of an animal howl of just pain. Yeah. Um. And it's not and it's not played for laughs at no. all. It's, it's directly played as, you know, Lenny's a he's he's a bastard. Yeah, you know, he's this is this is terrible stuff. But now, then, right, right off the, the back of that, then, you know, as, as this is happening, and this this might sound like it's a good punchline, but then the waiter comes in with the pecan pie, um, yeah. and yeah. and and in a different comedy, for me that works because you've yeah. you've had the mortifying thing, and then the pecan pie that was so important, you know, two seconds ago is suddenly ridiculous. The waiter wants to come in and give him the whipped cream, but because it's played against this real thing that would work in a serious drama, I I found that. It, I think it, it's like you say. She's never made a figure of fun. I think it's it's made it makes it undermines the the real character's pain by putting yeah. a a comedic punchline because it is it's it's a very almost old fashioned punchline. It's it's that kind of oh, the waiter comes yeah. in and gives tries to give you the pie. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, is, that yeah. to me it's, felt well, like a, many, a, a it, jarring it, it, shift. It's, it's, 
it's interesting you say that because in many ways what that is is the custard pie in her face isn't it it's yeah. you know it's the, it's the it's the metaphorical custard pie in yeah. her face yeah. it's it's this is you know you, you've you're the figure of fun here you're you're the you're the thing and she doesn't deserve it in, in any way shape or form yeah. but i do think part of that i think i think i think you feel more strongly than i do about it but i, I do have that sensibility as well it made me feel very uncomfortable in in, in I don't think it needed to be quite as brutal as that yeah. um, for it still to be effective yeah. and maintain the idea that this is, I mean, it's not a lighthearted comedy necessarily, but it is, it is a funny comedy when it's, when, it, when this film is funny, it's very funny, yeah. um, which I don't always think about with comedies. I find comedies quite difficult to kind of get on with a lot of the time because humor is a very personal thing yeah. for me. When this film is funny, it's very funny. And I could, uh, it, it, it did take me out of the kind of the humor a little bit. But what it does do, that scene, whether you like it or not, it then does at least you lose all empathy for Lenny. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the follow up scenes when he's in Minnesota trying to persuade Kelly that actually, he, you know, this is what I've done for you. There is you, you, I don't want him to succeed yeah. <laughs> in any way, shape or form. And this this comes to my biggest issue with the film, I guess. Okay. The biggest issue I have is that I not knowing anything about how the film would play out, I was absolutely certain that the way that the film would play out would be that Lenny would go to Minnesota and it would just be obvious that Kelly was stringing him along yeah. when they were on holiday and it would be his embarrassing and awkward attempts to try to ingratiate and in, in, ingratiate himself into the Corcoran family unsuccessfully. Yeah. And actually, that doesn't happen. He does get to marry her yeah. and i felt that was a bit that that was almost and I, I can understand why why um elaine may does that because i think for elaine may the payoff is the final scene yes i was gonna say she's chasing the ending and she she's gets, yeah, she gets halfway she gets halfway yeah. through the film and doesn't know how to get to the ending credibly yeah. and therefore yeah. you yeah, um, for no yeah no of can i think this, I find a real problem with Sybil Shepherd's character because she is played glacially. She's played. Um, yeah, she's so empty. You don't know why she would. Again, you're not. Again, I'm not sure what levels of attraction were like in the 70s, but I wouldn't have said Charles Grodin was was jaw droppingly attractive to Sybil Shepherd. Why she would have? Because she said she was attractive in the first place. Why she started flirting with him? Yeah. Um, he's, he's still quite of a doofus, even even you know even as a young man, and he's playing it that way too. Um, but you don't know why she'd even bother flirting with him. You probably thought maybe she's a manipulative character she'd like the idea of making someone end their marriage but then cutting them yeah. cold you don't know why she would go on a date and then subsequently sleep with him and then suddenly marry him uh, yeah. all these do seem out of left field because the most important thing is to get to the wedding when he ends up being the stranger at his own feast and you know he never really wanted what he got so i think that's a problem i think it's you know, not i think sybil shepherd is capable of playing more than just a, a cold glacial emotionless person um, course, so, yeah, so it was yeah. not a fault of her it's clearly the direction she was given but if they just took some some twist on it like she's from minnesota and finds the idea of someone from new york attractive you know the idea of oh, you're from new yeah. york you've seen you've had you eat different food than cauliflower you you've seen you know famous you've seen famous max every night if she'd been charmed by you know what he could project because all he but does is the, drool the, over the, her Lenny yeah. Is, yeah but lenny is charmless isn't that's he? the thing, yeah, but no, but he's also he's full of, he does try and brag about being from New York and this kind of stuff. He does try to put the front yeah. on in front of the parents, and if he did any of that, because all he does in front of Sybil Shepherd is just worship her, and maybe you want to play that she's a daddy's girl and all she wants is to be worshipped, but I'm sure she could have found that anywhere in which the college guys of Minnesota too. It's her her going that far with him 
does not seem right and it that is also a, a problem with the film because if she'd been charmed by him initially and kind of encouraging him saying you know, go and break up with your wife do it do it do it I'll, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll run away with you it's a bit more believable it. isn't it it comes more believable and it, it ramps it up but the fact he is if we disregard the fact that later on he does marry her what he appears to be in such a kind of a Walter Mitty delusion yeah. of doing this yeah. he's destroying which makes the dinner seem h- harder with Lila because he's destroying her over something that you know can never happen he's not going to go off and marry this person he's just ending it to destroy their lives that makes it harder the fact he then gives off and succeeds is odd. I mean, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, I was very surprised at the way that the film moved into that final act. And it was, uh, uh, so, for example, the scene where he, he and Mr. Corcoran are having a conversation, and Mr. Corcoran says, "You know, I'll give you five thousand pa- uh, dollars. I'll give you ten thousand. I'll give you twenty-five thousand dollars." Yeah. Oh, you know, even then, I thought he's going to accept the money. Yes, I thought that, that was that was going to be that the pair was like twenty-five. You say. <laughs> Yeah, and then, yeah, and then yeah. you'd get quite a comic scene where he talks himself into it. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and, and I, I actually think you're exactly right. You are exactly right when you say that what what Elaine May was doing was getting toward her ideal final scene. But I don't think the film necessarily needed that. No. It need or or. or, or it didn't need that that this film didn't need that final scene to be really really effective yeah. um and it could you're right it, it would have been much more effective I, you know i could even take the incredibly brutal um meal with lila and lenny if lenny if 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 all of it was a waste of time you know yeah. if if all yeah. if, if his chasing and i suppose ultimately it was a waste of time because the final scene is him empty and acknowledging in himself, I guess, that, yeah, he got the girl, but actually it wasn't the girl he wanted. It was the pursuit of the girl or the pursuit of the ideal. And so therefore he is himself empty. But it was too far removed at that point because he'd actually succeeded. And right. I just didn't I didn't want him to. I wanted him to I wanted him to go to Minnesota. I wanted him to not 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 get the girl. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah. I wanted him to not get the girl. Um, the, that and, second uh, half of the film is both too long and not long enough. Yes. It, it's, yeah. not, it's not long enough to give you a credible reason why they got the girl, but there are a lot of scenes there that don't need to be. You basically need him turning up, um, Kelly saying not interested, the mortifying dinner scene maybe, and then the scene with the father. There's a, there's a couple of log cabin scenes. There's a couple of other things that cram in there that make it too long for need, entertainment, yeah, but yeah. not long enough for credibility. Yes. Um, so the film, I mean, the film isn't, it's not a long film necessarily. No, it's, it's about one hour, 45, 45 minutes, but I think it could be, it could be 90 minutes. It yeah. could be, it could be one hour, 25 minutes and it would be better for that. I think, cause I, I think you're right. But I, I think that th- this, this is perhaps, um, something that the heartbreak kid has to answer for in modern American improvisational comedy films as well, which, which, um, almost without exception are way way too long hmm. um you know, i think most most of those kind of judd apatow produced or directed films with the kind of improvisation improvisational style of them are over two hours yeah and you know a comedy does not 
need to be over two hours long. I mean, I'm not saying that if it's over two hours, it's going to be a bad film. Yeah. But comedy is all about pacing and timing and punchiness and yeah. um, well, actually, on structure, it, it comedy, despite, despite the fact it seems you know loose and improvised, it it depends a much on structure. Oh, it does. Yeah, as, as more more so than more so than a natural. Right? Yeah. yeah, and um and yeah, and I was thinking. Obviously, this is course the new style of the '70s cinema, where it does that kind of improvised, you know, camera distance, soft-focus mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you'd imagine ten years ago, this would be a Billy Wilder comedy, and it would be as yeah. sharp as a tack. The, the dialogue yeah. wouldn't seem natural, but it would be every yeah. line would be a funny, punchy line. And not yeah. saying it, every comedy has to be like that, but I saw the difference when I watched, thinking, this is like the first attempt at what these kind of comedy is going to be like, and it's a. I can probably see why it was successful that because it's it's so different from what came before people would have probably responded well to it because it's not yeah, it's, it's not the quick fire wit of da, 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 da. No, it's, it's it's allowing no. the characters or the actors to push their characters into these places yeah and i mean it probably it, what it what it does do it probably represents that movement from the um 50s and 60s into a more kind of a bleaker view or a more um, grittier view of America in the 70s. Yes. You know, this was the early 70s, so we, we still had the kind of the big auteur directors to come through, either, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, the Scorsese's, yeah. um, all of those were still coming through at this point. Um, and this this was a this was the start. I'm not saying that this was the start of that particular movement, but this was this that you, you get the first sense that comedy and perhaps American films of the era were moving into a darker place or a, or a more challenging place than the kind of the snappy, the pizzazz, the kind of the fifties Hollywood of the kind of sharp suits and the yeah. the you know all that kind of stuff. It was a it, it, this was clearly this is clearly a a different style of filmmaking, yeah. even down to the kind of cinematography and the way that it's directed. It's got quite a handheld feel to it. It's yeah. got quite a raw is probably the wrong word, but a. a a, it's got a bleached out look to it. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's it looks it's quite simple in its production, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's a kind of a external shots of New York that struck me of the the, the, the later seventies or tour stuff. Although it was interesting, I was again you know, I was thinking this is the first draft of it, and then I again looked around and realised the Graduate, which seems like a very well, similar style of movie, um, was was five years earlier, and that is earlier. almost a very similar time of of naturalistic dialogue. Um, even though it was based on a play, um, allowed yeah. the shot naturalistically had that mortification aspect to it. Although, again, I think, um, again, the, sorry, the director was a partner of Mike Nichols. Uh, Elaine May was a partner of Mike Nichols who did The Graduate too, so that's why they put yeah. the connection in my head in the first place. So it wasn't, yes. the, it wasn't the very first one to pave the way, but it no. did seem like a different type of comedy. I mean, you could probably say that I think films like The Graduate and, and although it's not a comedy, but Midnight Cowboy with yeah. John Voight, and Dustin Hoffman, they're probably the first two of the kind of the new wave of American cinema, which started in the late 60s, of which The Heartbreak Kid is an early ideal of that particular style of filmmaking, which leads on to the kind of the the high point of American cinema, which is the mid 70s and late 70s of those kind of big director-led films, which came crashing down with um, Heaven's Gate at the end of the 70s yeah. um, where you know the studio basically went under because of that so you you had a you had a, a 10 to 15 year period where you started with the much more the bleaker the more social commentary style of filmmaking that the heartbreak actually fits into as a comedy in that process and actually if you think about what if you think about the type of comedy that this is 
it is it absolutely fits within that canon that that new wave of american filmmaking yeah. it, it, it really does um it's it's bleak it's dark it's um cynical i guess to a large extent it's um it's it's tougher i suppose i don't i'm not saying that the heartbreak it is a tough film but it's 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 uncompromising in its in its focus on a particular comedic view yeah uh, and and the, the the lila and lenny restaurant scene is an is the epitome of that it's, it's almost like the the high watermark for want of a better phrase of that brutal um insistence of this type of comedy yeah because it is not a, it isn't it is not a funny scene yeah it is not a funny scene i don't think it's intended to be a funny scene necessarily i think that elaine may has created a scene which is utterly brutal and she's done that deliberately and put ridiculously comedic elements in it deliberately and for me even for me who liked dancer in the dark <laughs> this was that scene was tougher than anything i saw in dancer in the dark yeah i, I agree so too i mean is it is it a problem that it was too well acted? I mean, Jeannie Berlin Possibly. does it very yeah. well. Yeah. And maybe she shouldn't have. Maybe it needed a broader touch. Um, so, uh, you know what? You, 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 that's a that's a very good point. And I was going to touch upon um, Jeannie Berlin as well because I don't know her in I don't know her really. I've never seen her in anything else. Not so She's sure. actually Elaine, Elaine May's daughter. Yeah. Um, as well, which I didn't know um, until after I watched the film and I was doing a bit of research about it. But she was nominated for an Oscar. An Oscar. Okay. For that role, and I for a best supporting actress, and I can understand that because she her role in this she is the she she's the fulcrum around which other things happen, but she doesn't have a lot to do. But I think that I think that by creating both a profoundly irritating but highly sympathetic character in the screen time that she has is. Is, it's a really good performance from her. Yeah. It's such a strong performance from her. Yeah. And that scene in the restaurant is the is the example of that. The the movement from um, simple, um, you know, uh, a simple kind of uh, non-thinking but inherently warm character to someone broken within the space of about eight or nine minutes i think yeah. it's, it's, it's such a good she's she's exceptional in it and mr corcoran played by eddie albert was also nominated for best supporting actor yeah and again i can see that because although he's not in it a lot he has maybe th- three or four scenes where he's in it you know as a central part of it and he acts he acts his socks off in those scenes and um you know that so I think I think that there's that the acting in this is universally superb, and perhaps perhaps with the exception of Sybil Shepherd, and I don't mean that, and she's not a, she hasn't acted well in this. Yeah. I, I think she does exactly what she needs to do in it, but and and needed a bit more from her. Yeah. I I think yeah she's very much the weak link in this, um, yeah. and that's a problem because she's she's the instigating incident that that kicks yeah. everything off, and it, you need to be more than just uh, an attractive blonde who looks nice in a swimsuit to kick off the plot of this magnitude. Um, yeah. But again, I, you can only assume that's how she was directed to play it, and which is interesting, given that um, again, Jeannie was played so real. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like the director's not capable of, of demanding that from the actors, or the actors aren't capable of delivering it. But it was, again, it's it might be because, yeah. and this is just me reading around it, saying that you know they um, 
the, the the truth of it came from kind of the the Jewish heritage and and the the New York side of it, and in fact everything yeah. he sees outside that is is much the, the dream he's chasing. So it doesn't need to be as real to him. You know, Civil Shepherd is just the kind of the Hitchcock blonde that he he wants, yeah. and it could have been anyone come along and who should interest in him. Um, yeah, well that's true actually, and in, in which case Civil Civil Shepherd doesn't she's not required, and it's not important that she plays anything other than what is what seems quite a glacial. Yeah. Um, Empty femme. Yeah. She's a femme fatale, but without the, w- without the fatale, really. I guess really. She, With, yeah, without the motivation, it, really. Yeah, without the motivation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but that's not important because it, she she could be anything. Yeah. It's just that she what she isn't is Lenny's experience. Yeah. And that and it's that that's important. As soon as they get married, she becomes part of Lenny's sphere. Yes, and is therefore he is is not desirable anymore, yeah. which is which is again is tragic when you think. Well, this does the way we're describing this is it it doesn't come across as a comedy. <laughs> the one thing I would say about it is there when when it, when this is funny, it is very funny. There are some great scenes in it, and there are some great lines in it as well. I spoke at the start about there's no deceit in cauliflower. The scene at the dinner uh, at, at the Corcoran's house where Lenny is having a meal with the parents. Is again, it's, pain, it's painfully awkward, but it's also quite funny when he starts banging on about the value of these robust, um, kind of folk-style vegetables and and kind of wholesome American meals, yeah. and and you know giving giving these kind of words to them that just you know, don't make any sense. Mr. Corcoran's scenes are fantastically funny. One of my favourite scenes in the film is when Lenny is invited to the uh, boat trip um, with the Corcorans and, and their, um, their their banking friends. And he he, he, he turns up in his kind of, it's, it's not a banger particularly, but it's a bit of an old car. Yeah. And he's he's got his court suit on because obviously he's told Lila that he's going to court. And he quickly gets changed into his swimming trunks. And Mr. Corcoran sees him getting out of the car and almost kind of, um, almost maniacally, um, starts to um, unhook the ship, unhook the boat from the from the jetty, um, and is desperately trying to push the boat away from 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 the edge of the jetty, so it so it dry, so it um, floats off before Lenny can get on the boat. And Lenny is obviously he's running up he's running up the jetty, shouting, "I'm here, I'm here, don't leave, don't leave!" And yeah. Mr. Cork was pushing the boat away, pushing the boat away, and he just about manages to get on. And there's a re- you can see Mr. Corker in the background, but he looks absolutely bereft. <laughs> to the boat and for me it's just a really subtle piece of filmmaking because it's not it's not marked in any way but you know you know how he feels you know how mr corcoran feels yeah because you just don't want him on that boat yeah it's really good um okay and anything else you wanted to say about about the heartbreak kid it was like when i watched for example um fistful of dollars i was i you know i'd heard the reputation of the film i'm not saying it's a bad film but i'd heard the reputation i was expected to be blown away but when i watched it because so many other films have been inspired by it i found it so original it was sort of retroactively um and maybe that's the same thing it's not that this is you know so influential but there are clearly things that were influenced by it and it doesn't seem fresh or new whereas you saw it in 1972 it probably seemed very fresh very new and and that itself would be worth something in, in a watch well and also it, it it's it's bleakness and it's, it's brutal treatment um, of lila is maybe what audiences wanted in the early 70s yeah um and i think watching it now i i, I need something a bit softer and warmer actually that, feel- yeah because again yeah. in this in, in the 70s 
you, again, she was like only 22. She was 21, actually, when they, they mentioned it. In the 70s, you married you, know, you married young and you stayed together for life. Yeah. And the idea that... Yeah, I mean, I think sort of every every you know sort of middle class person audience would know that pattern and therefore yeah, yeah. empathise more with Lenny that he had to get away. Whereas now to a modern audience, it's like you don't do that if you've committed to someone. It's because you've you know you've, you've lived your life, looked around, you've decided you want to settle down, not because you're trapped and you want to escape. So for him, it's an escape. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, for, and for audiences, escape, yeah, because he says yeah. I got to prove something to myself, but and, and he said I want to prove something to myself. But to a modern audience. It's it's capricious and cruel and and yeah yeah capricious is the word isn't it it's yeah it's capricious it's not it's not endearing there's no empathy at all um and I you know I also wonder you know couple with that it's there's something about the kind of the 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 razzmatazz and the um the kind of sparkly lights and and lightheartedness of fifties and sixties comedies that perhaps audiences with the heartbreak had wanted something darker. Um, you know, they were ready for that. Yeah. Um, and so it tapped into that kind of zeitgeist at the time, yeah. which was for that kind of darker, more social realist is probably the wrong word, but a kind of a more ramshackle style of comedy that was cynical and, um, you know, had characters in it that were unlikable. I mean, that's a common theme in lots of 70s films from the era, really. Um, and again, now, I th- in nowadays, you've got the idea that there's a different kind of family structure around, but also, I don't know, this... Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I just think the, 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 the sensibility of, of, of what that is now just doesn't fit quite as well. Maybe that's for the worse, I don't know. Maybe we're all idiots now, and there was a... <laughs> Maybe we're all idiots now, and in the early 70s, there was a kind of better recognition of what artistic culture looked like. And we just don't have that anymore because we've been bombarded with these types of films again and again and again. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go that far. And it's, yeah. I think, again, probably if we're, if we're analysing it now, I agree with you that the dinner scene with the parents, when he is desperately trying to be like a Republican and and, yeah. and banging on about cauliflower, is funny. Yeah. But it for me, yeah. that comes too late in the movie to... Yeah. To 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 because at that point I have completely broken ties with Lenny. I I deeply dislike. It's not just dislike because you can dislike characters and still be on still be with them. I'm not even with him anymore. I think that's the problem. If you a character can be, you know, awful and and disgraceful and you know deceitful yeah. and manipulative, and you're still with them because they're pushing the plot forward. Yeah. It might be the fact that he you know, ends up getting a date with with Kelly. Um, and she, she agrees to marry him or whatever. That seems so and you know it it doesn't land true. That makes me lose lose it with, with Lenny because maybe she just said go away and he was left in Minnesota in a borrowed car distraught. I'd still be with the character because that yes. happened. Yeah. I'm not with the character and yeah. because obviously the, the previous cruelty because again in the in retrospect, you know his bumbling schemes, you know they were initially funny. Now they come across as you know especially after the dinner very cruel and just gaslighting. You know even even before the dinner, you know his wife's in pain from sunburn and he is just telling it to sod off so we can go off on his secret dates on their honeymoon. Yeah. So that stuff, that stuff puts you cruel towards Lenny. And by the by the time you know a very good performance is being given by Charles Grodin of Lenny blacking his way through the dinner, it's it doesn't land for me because of everything that's come before. I've lo- the other character and I have, have there's too much a distance between us for me to connect with the comedy there. But but e- even even with Lenny um, being cruel to Lila in the earlier scenes, you know when she's sunburned 
you, you haven't totally lost him by that point. You know, he, he could redeem himself. Yes, yes, because because he's he could still just yeah. about redeem himself. Yeah, because it's played a little bit for it's played for laughs more than anything. Oh yeah, because he's because he's, he's a yeah. creep, he's a jerk. Because he's, com- still... he's, he's comedically unsupportive. That's the thing. It's like someone who's got sunburn on their honeymoon. What you do is you apply aloe lotion and you say they're there yeah. and you bring things. You don't just chuck him a wet towel and say I'm off for a beer and try and chase him. <laughs> yeah. That that's the, the that's why it's comedic. Um, so yeah. yeah, you're right. That that bit works because he is bumbling around. Um, but but the but the restaurant scene yeah. does undermine that and what, everything that goes before it you see in a slightly different light. Yeah. It's not comedic anymore. It's but not guess, humorous. Yeah. It's not bumbling. Yeah. It's cruel. But I think also actually to um, to be to pick up on when I mentioned that he could, you know, he could be a British character doing this kind of bumbling because again it's it's no it's no um, stranger to British comedy you know the, the husband running yeah. around behind his wife's back trying to trying to catch a young yeah. man and lying about it all the time. I think the difference is he's actually quite good at at gaslighting. Poor Lila. He, he the the lies trip off so so naturally to him. He yeah. has the he has the name of his army, but he has the name of the police car. He has all these things queued up for him, and he never once seems to get caught or even stumble. He like he doesn't. She doesn't say, "Oh, well, why you know why have you got a tank?" I've been in the sun, and I think actually if he'd if he'd flailed yeah. around more, you'd be with him more because he's because <laughs> he'd be in a pickle. Whereas actually, because Lila is so guileless and so trusting of everything he's saying, it yeah. comes across worse. Whereas if she had again more of an edge or more of a suspicion or he'd been less adept at deceiving yeah. him it would be it would be funnier and you, he'd be more bumbling it was actually this is where I came across him being a sociopath he is a very fluid and accomplished liar um, yeah he is and yeah. and yeah. that is harder to latch onto if he'd if you know if he'd said you know the, the buddy's name and then he said it again and said well that's the different name oh that's what I call him that's his nickname that's, yeah. you don't believe me um, and, yeah, exactly. and and he doesn't ever get never gets tripped on his own lies which means liar is completely hit by an anvil I thought actually I'll, I'll give you two anecdotes firstly um i thought the lyra story is more interesting actually if they'd flipped it and had the story about lyra on her honeymoon with a complete nutter who ditches her and then what she does afterwards sounds like <laughs> yeah, actually quite an interesting story going on there rather than him following what you'd assume would be a fruitless dream um the well, other I'll tell you what, it would have been a lot more cathartic yes yeah um you know because what i would have wanted to see is what 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 is the aftermath for lyra of that restaurant scene you yeah. know and what you might what, what you might want to do in that situation is create a story for lila which actually has some kind of happy ending yeah. obviously you know it, it's contextual and it's relative to what's happened before but it, you know may, maybe maybe she ends up finding love somewhere i really yeah i really wanted i really wanted i mean i suppose just lila went from someone who was a figure of fun and an, an an irritant to someone who I really, 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 really wanted to to end up happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the story followed the wrong character. Yes, and it, actually the, the the other thing which may <laughs> the other thing which may speak more about your film recommendations um, was uh, as we were watching this um, and we were only into the initial ten minutes when they're driving along in the car singing along. Um, Mrs M did turn to me and say, "He's not going to kill her, is he?" <laughs> <laughs> because she assumed that's the kind of film you would ask us to watch. Oh come on! <laughs> Did you not watch Speed Racer? <laughs> not gonna kill her. Oh no! Oh gosh! Yeah. Well, you know, I wouldn't have put it past him. Um, but yeah. So, so those are my final thoughts on uh, Heartbreak Kid. Do yeah. you have anything else you'd like to add? Well, I suppose I suppose the only thing to, to add to that is you, you, you talked about. Um, that there's a there's a certain Britishness to the humanly awkwardness of it. But I think I think I think again you nailed it really well, which is the, 
possibly the difference between this this American version of the of of um, the kind of British humour and what what we would might do in Britain is yeah. he, he would be more he would be more fallible he would be more bumbling he would be bumbling maybe the wrong word but he yeah. would be more um, he would be more obviously um, fake and yeah. it, it yeah it it, it I suppose it. He's always too confident in this. That's yeah. a very American thing, isn't it? It's, he's very confident. Whereas if this was Basil Fawlty, I mean, they're different characters, okay? Yeah. They're different kind of. But, but Basil, if it was Basil Fawlty, well, take take would, take uh, John Cleese's role of Fish Called. Yeah. Well, take a Fish Called Wonder, which is again where John Cleese is a man deceiving his wife to have an affair. Yeah. He is hopeless at it, and he's constantly getting pitfalled and tripfalled. And maybe again to to draw a line across the Atlantic, Britain just does the, the comedy of losers better because we're more used to it. America doesn't often have yeah. the complete losers the comedy. I mentioned earlier why the Friday Brothers would take this up because I, again their films obviously a different level of <laughs> far lower down but they do yeah. try and make their lead characters losers um, not confident yeah. not successful or they do actually end up with all the beautiful women but generally they try to make them pathetic and in a very non-American comedic way yes I think that's fair well there we go there we go that's the heartbreak that's uh, volume 2 episode 4 of uh, Weekend at Crombies indeed join us when we will be giving scores and finding out what I have in store for us next month oh my god <laughs> welcome back you're in the, the, the last third now we've uh, we've opened up we've traveled through virginia and jordan 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 georgia we've uh, we've sat down for dinner um it merely remains to have the second wedding and we're through so let's without further ado james will go first and he will tell us how many floating crombie heads out of five he'd like to give this movie is it me that goes first or is it you that goes first i thought it was the other person so that it can't be faked so we can't say you know because i could give the heartbreaking five and then i'd win at the end of the year well, it's not about winning. It's about giving our listeners a fair shake. I think you go first. Yeah. Okay, I'll go. Because that way, if I uh, go first yeah, and go. give it low, you can't then score it high to bring it up. Oh, so you have to give yeah. it an honest uh, assessment. Yeah, okay, all right. Then not this suddenly got very competitive. We're, we are yeah, impartial. Yeah. We're impartial, yeah. and we want to give every film a fair shake. So, shake away. Yeah. So, um, I, I was, I was really excited to watch the Heartbreak Kid. Probably more excited than any film I've chosen since literally since Phantom of the Paradise, which ended being ended up being very disappointing given that you gave it one star. But um <laughs> I was really excited about watching this because I uh I heard really good things about the film and I was um really uh kind of looking forward to watching Charles Grodin um and watching another Elaine May film. And, and when actually I have to say that for, for, for a large part of the first half of the film, I was, I was with it and um, I was, I was enjoying it. I think that the, and I can't really criticize Elaine May for the, the restaurant scene with Lila and um, uh, Lenny, because that that is part of the point of the film. That is the script. That is the way that it was directed. That is what, um, Elaine May wanted to do it's not that it needed to be different necessarily it just didn't work for me and subsequently everything that followed was much more tinged with darkness and um, kind of sadness in that regard um, I thought the film was slightly over long could have been edited quite a lot um, didn't need to be as long as it was 
However, having said that, it is very well acted um, with all members of the cast, including Sybil Shepherd, doing a very good job, but particularly Jeannie Berlin and Charles Groding, really fantastically well acted, perhaps too well acted in some instances. Given all of that, and the influence that it has had on American comedies, for better or for worse, um, I'm, okay, I'm toying a little bit here. Reluctantly, I'm going to give The Heartbreak Kid two disembodied crombie heads out of five i'm i was toying between the two and the three yeah. i think it's got a, i think it has a lot going for it i think that it could be a three but it, i have to be honest with myself yeah. it wasn't it wasn't what i wanted it to be yeah and so it's a two out of five disembodied crombie head film interesting um my turn now i've probably made it clear i did not enjoy the movie mm. as a kind of a, a very basic level i sat down and enjoyed it i came away not entertained and <laughs> and there was this there... is like a broken record this is at the end of every <laughs> James Chosen podcast there's no need to get defensive because I'm giving it um, I'm giving it two floating crombie heads and it is only from this conversation that I've come up from one and I think oh, I, wow. I now I, I do now you have taught me around you do, I do now see and appreciate actually where this is coming from again the, the, it is a good performance that can matter a lot um, yeah. This, the, there are some again. There are some very good scenes in it taken in isolation. Almost if you see a, a montage of the scenes, it's better because there are some funny moments in it. There are some good jokes that land. Yeah. But as a whole, I find it really didn't work for me. The and we keep our back to this restaurant scene. That is the fulcrum on which it balances, I think. Um, and that is yes, and, and it's problematic. I think Charles Grodin is very good, but I think almost again this improvised thing. The script could have used another another just tightening up because for me. Yeah. There are there are enough dots not connected to pull me out of the, pull me out of the moment, and again I think it was more important that we had these two bookended scenes than how we got to them, um, which yeah. is again which is again yeah. the problem because I generally go for for, for plot driven movies, so yeah two crumby heads, but jest it was a poor film in my estimation, and I know it again it has a reputation and it has a great deal of admiration and it is a is has a place in history. So this is just merely my take on it, not my regarding of how it is. That that's how I came away from thinking I would give this one to two. I'm going to settle on two because I think it, it does deserve that much. Well, well I mean, it, it just it's just to add to that, uh, before the podcast, I was thinking it's probably a low three or a high two and I think that we've come to the two because I came I've come to the two because of this conversation as well and, yeah. and I know that I know that you you've highlighted the fact that we have focused quite a lot on that that second restaurant scene um but I think maybe more than any other film that we have reviewed on Weekend at Crombies that scene has played such a critical role in my perception of the film yeah both both prior to that scene in retrospect and what followed the scene afterwards that it is it is the central conceit that dictates both the tone of the film and my reaction to it and i understand that others would react different to that yeah. differently to that but for me i agree with you it took me out of the the, the film it it meant that um and it became very obvious as a consequence that we were trying to get from the first wedding scene to the second wedding scene and fitting the dots in between without 
really a recourse into understanding the kind of mechanics of emotion and uh, satisfaction and kind of empathy and comeuppance i guess really yeah. um so yeah i think i think two t- t- is two is fair two yeah. is fair i will say of that scene it will stay with me but not in a bad dance in the dark way i'll, I'll remember that scene and remember what i took from it but not in a way yeah, i wish i'd never seen it i'm, I'm... incredibly effective right yeah i mean if, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and <laughs> if you are if anyone is if anyone is yeah and having not seen the film before i don't think you would think that we were talking about a comedy yeah i think that you would think that we were talking about um a very dark family drama about an incredibly unpleasant man married to a simple but um a, a simple but kind of warm woman yeah. who he treats terribly yeah and in, in many ways that is what we've watched but it does have comedic elements to it i think yeah. if it was just that drama it yeah. might have been more bearable yes you're not supposed to be laughing at stuff well i mean any you could say that any comedy you know faulty towers is the story of a hotelier having a nervous breakdown um it's yes, just that yes. you play it for laughs and it becomes comedy all comedy is is you know tragedy yes. in there somewhere so for every smile there must you be a tear right. so that's not too bad but yeah i think um i think we've we've, we've milked that now would we like to yeah. hear what uh, what may's film will be i don't know if i do to no. be honest <laughs> uh, so, so, I, I, uh, well Okay, so this is this is the this was the first of the films that I've chosen that we've both agreed on negatively. Yeah, we've we've, we've reached we've reached Concord on um, up and down, so that's quite good. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, I just don't want another obscure Disney musical. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but if if it is an obscure Disney musical, then I will watch it with an open mind. Okay. I'm now. I'm, <laughs> you've now you know, got me. You've now got me dashing to my to my list of other things because I felt I'm gonna. Um, am I gonna? Am I gonna get my choice now? This tension. I think. Oh no. I think. Choose what you to choose. I'm gonna choose what I'm gonna choose because I chose yeah, it, and I, I will start by saying, and we won't talk about that anymore. This is not some elaborate revenge for you picking the heartbreak kid. This is generally what was on my list of things I would like to revisit. So, the film we will be watching in May will be. Condor Man. Oh God! Well, I think I've seen Condor Man. I Does that have um? Hang on a minute. Does that have uh? Oh, what's his name? Michael um, Crawford. That's it. Yes. <laughs> so it's got Michael Crawford in it. Yeah. Okay. I've not seen it for years and years. You're kind of um, fresh eyes in that bit. Norvai. So Condor Man is what we're watching. May. That's all we'll say about it. But uh, that concludes our episode. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you all have a very enjoyable weekend at Crombie's. Good evening all. Weekend at Crombie's Can you analyse the analysis? I I was was waiting for you to pick me up on that. (laughs) (laughs) I'd almost teed it up for you but you uh, you chose not to take the shot. Thank you for that. (laughs) I think it's because it was playing in my mind as you hung up. <laughs> as I mean, you, you can analyse the analysis. I'm sure people are at home are analysing the analysis that we give. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, yes, and, and, if, and if they were to tell their spouses about it, they would be analysing the analysis by their analysis. <laughs> it's a, the Escher painting of analysis. It just continues forever. Well, if, you, if that isn't an apt description of Weekend at Crombies, I don't know what is. No, I don't know what is either. It's the, no, that's not right. it's the Escher painting of film podcasts. It <laughs> keeps going on and on and on and around and around. And you never quite make sense of it.